Petersfield's Shine Radio. Shine Radio's Growing Together with Claire Venice and Steve Amos is supported by Alitex. Modern Victorian glasshouses made in South Harting. Hello, thanks for joining us in Growing Together, the gardening podcast from Petersfield's Shine Radio. I'm Claire Venice, and I'm sat at the Adhurst Estate Allotment in the sun with Steve Amos. Good morning. Morning, Steve. What a beautiful Sunday morning. Oh, it's lovely, Dan. We go the extra mile here, don't we? Recording (laughs) on a Sunday morning. What's all that about? Well, it's a busy morning down here, once again at the allotment. It is, isn't it? Well, we've got a working party, a regular working party, but Pecan have joined us, and they're doing scything and all things in environmental down at the allotment we haven't ventured down there yet have we no we haven't but i have seen dougie's been around with a scythe did already. he have his clothes on he did oh, people might take this pole darking to a whole new level so uh, <laughs> i'm a little bit cautious about going to visit if i'm honest <laughs> we will approach with caution with caution absolutely <laughs> no i'm looking forward to it. it's a beautiful beautiful morning i mean i know we talk about the weather a lot well, gardeners do don't but they? you have to but i'm so pleased we are enjoying this sun possibly a little bit extreme but it, the sun is so nice in september well i was up here yesterday evening looking for flowers to enter into the list flower show which is today and to be honest the palms i had earmarked have literally been scorched no palms in the show and no large decks either because they've all what you call damped off so when you get a bigger flower the back petals go brown but there's all the moisture in the air all my large yellow decks you can see they look beautiful from here yeah get a bit closer dreadful oh no yeah i mean that is the thing this kind of really hot weather that we've been having plays havoc with the garden it does it really does and the humidity in the air is just crazy really weird it because is. in the mornings there's been that gorgeous mist yep but real humidity yes. that kind of climbs throughout the day and also because it is september it's getting darker in the evenings early harriet and i were up here pretty much in the dark last night picking flowers i had to get up early this morning to go to the greenhouse to pick um, tomatoes because i couldn't see anything <laughs> <laughs> looking a bit strange with the Cle- torch. cleaning carrots in the dark <laughs> was not a good idea new extreme sport <laughs> Well, joining us in this episode, I'm delighted to say we had the first instalment of the Working Garden Diary with head gardener Ben Pope. And we also have three gardeners who designed the platinum winning and the best showcase garden at the BBC Gardeners World Autumn Fair at Audley End. So I went to visit the fair, which is only the second year running. Did you go there without me again? (laughs) One trip out this year. That's all I've had, folks. Literally one one trip out. Things are going to change next year. I hope so. It's always fun going to a show with you, Steve. Well, it was fortuitous. We were on the way back from a little holiday trip away in Suffolk. The timing worked out really well, but it's a great show. Really enjoyed Audley End and wish I had a bit more time to spend there, actually. So, so maybe next year, Steve, we can okay. have a trip. How is the allotment faring then, Steve? What have you been doing down here in the last few weeks? Well, just keeping the last bits and bobs going, still picking beans, courgettes are still going well, but tidying up really is where we're at. As you can see, there's a few beds that are all now composted, dug over, not covered yet, but I think I'm gonna cover them over the next few days. 
Yeah, and just start getting to winterising it, which is a bit scary, really. It is strange, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. When it suddenly turns and that's what you have to do. I was in my greenhouse yesterday, actually, and just tidying that up a little bit because, yeah. again, with this heat, some plants haven't done well and they're not going to produce any more now. Like some no. of my cucumbers have just dried up. Maybe they weren't in big enough pots. I don't know. It's all a learning curve for me this year. With your greenhouse, Having absolutely. a greenhouse yeah, for the yeah. first time. All my stuff that I grow in pots in the greenhouse, which is everything, I sit in trays. So I water the trays, just keep that topped up. And that way, with tomatoes and stuff, you don't get the bottom end rot, you don't get splitting, because there's constant water for them. Oh, that's a good tip. Yeah. I've done that with my tomatoes. Have you? But I yeah. haven't done that with the cucumbers. Oh, definitely. I did chilies, everything in there. It just keeps a reservoir of water. It works for me. And I'm also continuing feeding the plants. Are you? Excellent. Whilst, whilst I can. It feels like it's not quite time to stop. So I'm still feeding my flowers and still feeding the vegetables as much as I can. But my pumpkins are hurting in this weather. Yeah, we've not been over to the pumpkin patch. They're massive. They are huge. But the plants are definitely dying off. I saw a couple of really big pumpkins I know, this, as I came in. The competition's going to be good. <laughs> and then we've got the Petersfield Pumpkin Growing Society. Yeah, yeah. the weigh-in is the 6th of October. That's not many weeks away. No, it's not. We need to book that helicopter. Yeah, <laughs> that's going to be great fun, I think. So, something to start thinking about. I know we've talked about my obsession with spring bulbs this yes. year. Which I am obsessed. I've got all sorts. I've got alliums, tulips. I've got the tiny little narcissi, daffodils. All sorts. I'm just going to put them all in pots. Yes. Stack them in. It says plant 10 to 20 centimetres apart. Do not plant them 10 to 20 centimetres apart, especially in a pot. Jam them in. And in layers as well. If you can do them in layers, do them in layers. That bulb lasagna. Perfect. That's a really good way of describing it, actually, isn't it? Layer of compost, bulbs, layer of compost, bulbs, layer of compost. And sometimes if, if you've got some horticultural grit, put that on the top as well. And that saves all the compost bouncing out when you water them or the rain comes. Smart. And the way that you do it with lasagna as well, the bulbs that come out later, like the tulips, go down deeper. And so you've got different layers. That's right. And actually, I bought, talking of alliums, I did buy a packet of mixed alliums okay. at the autumn fair, but I couldn't resist a, a mixture of alliums. What you want is the globe masters and yeah. stuff like that, the absolute whoppers that stand sort of good metre high and the heads on them are what, six, eight inches in diameter. Absolute whoppers. When you buy those bulbs individually, they're like four, five, six pounds a bulb, aren't they? Yes, they are. Yeah. Alliums are not a cheap hobby, but they are stunning, aren't they? They are, and every yeah. year I always say, oh, I need to get more alliums. This is the year, I well, think, because I have bought some purple sensations okay. as well, which are another, I suppose, the most common yes, allium that you, right. you yeah, see yeah. in the garden. Just love that idea of them popping up all over yeah. the garden yeah, next no, year. Yeah, brilliant. And talking of bulbs, though, other bulbs to start thinking about, the garlic bulbs. Yeah, we're getting to that time of year. I plant mine usually in October. I need to buy some first, would be a good idea. Where do you usually buy your bulbs from? I've bought them from seed catalogues in the past. I've bought them from the garden centres. I'm not precious if I'm honest. I mean, last year's was brilliant. I went to a little independent garden centre when I was out and about somewhere and they had a real selection of local garlic, sort of the Isle of Wight stuff. And they've been superb. Such good flavour on them. Like you said, the Isle of Wight is, is well known for their garlic. It is, isn't it? Yeah. So maybe look and see if you can find some varieties for, that they supply. There's a garlic farm on the Isle of Wight that you can get mail order. So it's worth looking at that as well. Well, let's hear from head gardener Ben Pope. Ben looks after a private garden in West Sussex and has kindly agreed to do a growing diary throughout the autumn and winter months for growing together. And in this month, Ben discusses hedge care, cutting flowers and apples, and also the importance of making lists. Lists. Lists are a good idea. 
I've come to a private garden in West Sussex to meet with head gardener Ben Pope. Ben is joining us in Growing Together for the coming months with a working garden diary to see us through autumn and winter and to keep us busy in the garden. Hello, Ben. Hello. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for joining us in Growing Together. You've been in Growing Together a couple of times, actually, the last two Chelsea flower shows. So last time I saw you was Chelsea this year. Yes, it was a lovely show, wasn't it? I, I thought it had a real buzz about it this year, actually. It felt like it really come back. Because, of course, also you are an RHS herbaceous committee member. That's right, yes. Yeah, for all my sins, yeah. I absolutely love herbaceous perennials um, and lucky enough to be on the committee there. So we judge plants in trials for the AGM and we ratify those. And we recently did a perennial day at West Dean, which isn't too far from here, where we'd sort of outreach and do question and answers. And there were some expert nursery owners doing talks and everything like that. It was brilliant. Yeah, we are lucky to have that on our doorstep, aren't we? Well, I'm joining you now in the private garden that you work at and you're head gardener here. How long have you been head gardener? So it's kind of scary. I've been here 16 years. <laughs> Pretty much, you know, putting down my roots literally and becoming part of the furniture, I suppose. And that's, you know, it's a lot for being in someone's private garden where you don't get the footfall of public and interaction but the family are wonderful um, the garden is very nice and has kept me very happy and the team that I work with so with all of that and then the freedom and the creativity I get to do in the garden with perennials but also annuals and growing vegetables and cut flowers fruit you know we do a bit of everything hopefully i'll be getting to share that with the listeners as we go through yes absolutely you will yeah, <laughs> fantastic we'll look forward to that <laughs> well this garden has a number of different areas to it we had a little look around before we started recording and um, yeah there's lots to talk about ben <laughs> september in the garden can be a lovely time of year but it also can be a bit of a sad time of year when things are dying back but we're enjoying a bit of an indian summer at the moment we are we are and as a gardener i love this and you ask any professional gardener or person that gardens all the time and you love september because it's got to that point where you don't have to care so much you know you can relax the, the fruit is ripening seeds are beginning to develop and, and and the late summer perennials are really starting to kick off and look good so nothing has to be too perfect and you're always sort of approaching next year so you don't worry so much so yeah, I don't, I don't mind September, and especially when we, like you say, we get an Indian summer like this year. It's just beautiful. The colours, I think, this autumn will be lovely. Let's hope so. We've all been hankering after a bit of sun, haven't we? Really after the summer <laughs> yeah. that we've had. Yeah, yeah. It's been a tricky, tricky summer with the dry and the heat and then the wet. So as we follow your growing journey throughout the next few months, it'd be great to find out what you're doing in the garden to offer advice. What, what sort of things are you doing in the garden here at the moment? Yeah, so as I say, September's that kind of wild, carefree time and the gardens start to look a bit woolly. To sort of rein it back in, one of the key things we do is get all the hedge cutting done, the toperies, the hedges, the formal lovely shapes done. So A, they'll give nice structure during winter, but also it allows all the wounds to heal and buds to form before the cold weather comes in. So, so doing it now is really good. You know, the birds have all fledged. So as the plants come in to slow down in growth, you can cut now and it's going to give you the smartest effect for the longest time. So it always makes sense to kind of get everything looking sharp for now. And as I say, it just contrasts to all that fluffy wooliness. Sometimes it's nice to leave some of the plants over the winter because you get that lovely structure. Indeed, yeah, yeah. So we tend to leave a lot of our perennials over winter. We'll start cutting some early sort of spring or late winter, January, February time, I mean then. But a lot of the stuff we can leave till March. Um, it all depends on when we're mulching those regimes, which I'm sure we'll talk about as the months go on. But having those nice sculptural hedges, those sharp lines, really contrasts with anything that's left and is a bit what 
some people might say is scruffy, you know, but actually having something sharp that's next to it to contradict that kind of makes it feel intended. So it's a good trick. That's interesting. And like you said, it helps look after the hedges as well. It does. It does. It's essential to get those really nice, dense hedges, which, you know, the animals love. The hedgehogs like to rummage underneath and hibernate in winter with all the leaves and whatever, the birds, you know. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a good thing to do. What kind of hedges do you have here in the private garden? So we've got a, a mixture of everything. We've got the dreaded box, <laughs> which I'm sure your listeners will be familiar with the problems that come with there with blight and caterpillar. We also have a scale on that, but we do have areas of box which are still looking really good. We have replaced some of that though with view taxus peccata and and that's darker green we've tried some other alternatives which haven't worked and um, we've clipped various bits of pittosporum but they've suffered you know from the winter that we had this year so that's the jury's out on those a little but other ones we use hornbeam beech and hawthorn actually nice native you know hawthorn obviously it loses its leaves in winter but actually you've got that dense brown crisp shape which can look really good with a frost on or you know just sort of framing the landscape i mean i would always say when you're deciding on a hedge Firstly, how often do you want to cut it? The maintenance is a, is a discerning factor. But then the other thing is the location. Does it look out onto countryside or actually is it quite tight and formal to perhaps something well-behaved and evergreen and not so vigorous would be more suitable? Now, when to buy hedges, is that best to wait until bare root season? Yes, it is. Gardeners like a list. You know, we, we always think in the next season, the season after that ahead. So we will definitely talk about that. But definitely planting hedges is, is bare root season. That's when you're going to get best value and good quality plants, in fact. And so that's going to be going through the dormant season, which is winter, you know, December through to January and February. But you can plant containerized plants if you're desperate to get going early. And we are starting to approach now autumn, which is a great time for planting. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in the next podcast. Mm, absolutely. Within the garden here, you have, as we mentioned, different types of gardens. So you've got a formal garden, you've got an area with meadow, a vegetable area, you've got cut flower garden. Which garden are you focusing on now more or is it a little bit of everything? It's a little bit of everything and we're thinking in terms of cut flowers now, which is another job we can be doing is saving seeds definitely start to go through look at all your annuals perhaps and then and if there are any seed heads keep a few rather than deadheading and think okay we'll dry them off and in fact we've been collecting them since probably late July and, you know it's a great way of getting some more plants for free and swapping them with your friends that sort of thing so definitely looking at the cut flower beds and then harvesting you know we're getting that harvest time aren't we it's been a fantastic year for blueberries raspberries blackberries and and you know We've had so many, in fact, we're having to start to freeze them now. Um, But, you know, that's a great position to be in. Trying not to waste anything. Defoliating where we've had problems with tomatoes, just to try and get the last of the tomatoes, make sure they ripen up. Looking at the squashes, thinking, do we need to start cutting the leaves back of those and getting the sun on them to cure them before we store them for winter? So, yeah, definitely the edible. I mean, all year round, anyone that grows veg will know it's it's quite a demanding space to occupy and and look after. Yeah, yummy. It's a lovely time of year for that, isn't it? (laughs) is yeah walking down one of the beautiful pathways here in the garden there are a number of apple trees which are hanging beautifully with some enticing looking fruit what varieties of apples do you have here we have loads shamefully i don't know all the names because they were planted before i got here you know some lovely old trees i've put in new ones that i particularly like there's spartan there's some of the ergamont russets there's 
some of the new ones in fact that got that lovely pink flesh red surprise and things like that but the important thing is if you're going to grow your apple trees is, is to know what they taste and, and pick ones that you want to really eat the supermarkets churn out the same varieties that you can get anywhere so if you're going to grow it for yourself you can actually grow one of these amazing varieties and the best way in fact to find out about that is to go to apple tasting days at fruit nurseries that will be held now through autumn and you can taste all sorts of things i mean i'll always champion throughout this podcast talking to you going to the grower whether it's the nurseryman the plant grower or the fruit grower because they absolutely love what they do and they're an expert in their subject and they'll they'll give you a lot of good information that's good advice because there are so many different varieties to choose Mm. from aren't there in terms of apples there's i mean from the historic ones to the more modern ones i mean there's hundreds and you can get really regional specific to your own area which again if you're into history you could find some really traditional old ones that perhaps aren't grown anymore and actually that could be a quite wonderful journey to take yourself on do you have an apple picking day here then or do you just do it as as the apples ripen as the seasons go (laughs) i was told by one of the other gardeners that used to work here that they start to ripen at one end and then it goes down and that sort of sort of happens but it's as they start to fall in fact, with gardening, it's always a twist. So you can just gently cut the apple in your hand and give it a light twist. And if it comes away easily, then they're ready. I mean, I always do the taste test, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's a hard thing to do. Yeah, yeah. If you've got that lemon sort of sour face, then you know it's not quite ready. And in fact, they smell as well. You, you can even smell it on the air, in fact, sometimes. Lovely. How do you store them here? So, yeah, that's another tricky one. We tend to use them in a fridge in the cellar. But we have in the past used boxes and the trick is to try and keep them separate. So you, you want to avoid any that have got bruises or blemishes that can then rock and then start and infect others. And we actually use layers of cardboard, but you can buy those ones that are kind of scooped. Do you remember the old vegetable shops used to have them? I do. Yeah, yes, sometimes do. they were foam. But you can actually buy them really cheaply, these cardboard ones. And we use those in a fridge. And that's the best way to store them. By shutting the fridge door, you're keeping the temperature down and you're increasing CO2, which then slows down the ripening process. But, you know, if you haven't got that, a nice cool garage, perhaps. It's obviously somewhere rodent-free. And as I say, that thing of rot, just check in from time to time. And, and any that are starting to turn and go a bit soft and rot get them out because they will actually encourage others to rot. So as you sit here in the garden on this gorgeous September evening what areas of the garden are you thinking about improving or changing for next year because this is also the time of year when we sort of reflect back on our gardens and think about what worked what didn't work with the strange weather we've been having over the last few summers how are you going to potentially change the garden? Yeah, so there's a lot to that. And again, I have these massive lists that I've mentioned before because it's a big garden. We're looking at each area. So for in the greenhouse, for instance, trying to combat the whitefly problems that we've had for the last couple of years quite badly. We've used biological control, but we have to have all our vents open because the, the greenhouses are south-facing and very hot. And so actually we'll be using an organic pesticide. I know that name pesticide sort of sends shivers, but it's literally fatty acids and soap. So we'll be using that and sticky traps. Other areas of the garden, mulching is a key thing, which I'll probably talk about again and again and again. Next month we'll talk about probably leaf mould and that sort of thing. So we'll use that or buy in mulch. And that certainly helps improve soil, keep weeds down, but it's helping with the drier areas. So it's setting up this mulching regime and, and it's getting trickier and trickier for us to now do it in the spring, which is when we used to do it. So in fact, we might start to do some mulching in the autumn, some areas of the garden. So it's planning ahead what we're going to do there. In terms of the borders, 
as always it's what's worked what hasn't what stuff needs to be lifted and divided and then the other thing we've often used is annuals which you can start saying now your hardy annuals and in fact we used to sow them in january and february and then we'd plant them out you know march april time you know harden them off and then they'd get going but we've been caught short out with these really hot early starts in the year and so actually we're now going to start sowing them now which you can do and then um, be planting them maybe before christmas get them in the ground or at least have them sheltered and hardened off so we can start planting them after the worst of the frost perhaps end of january and february and then hopefully they'll be rooted and they'll cope with these dry conditions so there's always lots and it just becomes a battle otherwise so what is your favorite thing about being a gardener i think well, there's a few things. It's firstly being outside. I love being outside and you, you just have this connection and those magical moments when the sun's just coming up and the frost and or, or those moments you catch at the end of an autumn day with the sun setting. That connection with nature is the first thing. And then the other thing is physically creating a space, nurturing a space, tending a space. And I wouldn't say you're always working with nature because sometimes you're battling it, but you're close to nature. You're observing it and you're just creating something that's quite beautiful and you're not in control of it the whole time and that's beautiful in itself as well. It's been lovely to talk to you for our first Working Garden Diary. Ben, thank you very much for inviting me to this lovely garden. I look forward to coming back in the future months. It's been great to have your expertise. Absolute pleasure. Thanks very much, Ben. Great to see you. And uh, we look forward to hearing your next instalment in a month's time. If you have a question for Ben, as always, you can email joinusandgrow at gmail.com and he'll do his best reply in the next diary episode. One of my favourite things about this time of year and talking about the orchard is the fruit, the apples, the plums, the pears. It's great, isn't it? Yeah, Delicious. Yeah, they're yeah, no, really good. I, I love a pear, actually. You've seen the ones hanging on Coxie's tree there. Oh, yeah. bit tempting. Yeah, they are. The plums over by the pumpkins, there's just too many of them. So if you want some before you leave, please help yourself. Yes, please. We, yeah. had, we had a little munch, didn't we, actually, Yeah, we did, didn't well. we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were lovely. They're good, aren't they? Yeah. They're really ripened up and really sweet. Really Nothing good. quite like picking fresh fruit. Oh, and eating it straight off the tree. Well, and now is the time, as Ben mentioned, to go to apple tasting days. Uh, if you can find one near you, definitely take the time to go. Actually, get out there and have a look at the different varieties of apples. There are hundreds. Great to get an idea of what sort of apple you like. And if you're thinking about getting an apple tree, bare root season's coming up too. Yeah going to speak to our friends at Southern Fruit Trees. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's an apple tasting day as well near Southern Fruit Trees, which is in Blackmore. So if you go to Blackmore Fruit Nursery, they have an apple tasting day on Sunday, October the 8th. Oh, there you go. Go enjoy that if you can. So as we said, Steve, it's heyday here at the allotment. It is. We should go and have a look, a cautious look, as we said earlier. <laughs> the orchard is to the side of the allotment. That's box, right. Yeah, isn't yeah. It? yeah. And how does it work then? Do you have to be an allotment holder to no, hold a tree? No, it works on a similar basis to holding allotment. So you sign up as a tenancy agreement and you pay an annual fee for a stake. And with that stake, you can plant any native fruit tree. And then you, you tend to that yourself. Yeah. Obviously, Pecan have come and joined us today and their scything crew to tidy it up a little bit. We used to cut it, we used to get it cut with a tractor and mower sort of two or three times a year. But we decided actually, from an environmental point of view, we'll let the grasses grow, let the wildflowers grow within the grasses, a much, much better environmental habitat for little beasties. And has that proved to be yeah, so? Yeah, definitely. It's really interesting. You know, we've got a, a really healthy population of dormice here and a lot of them are living in the, the thick grass. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. Really good. Is there still 
plots available though for someone who's interested in possibly having a tree here? We are full on every count and our waiting list actually for allotments is growing exponentially at the moment. I'm not sure what's happened. I think the cost of living crisis is really pushing people to have a long hard think about where their food comes from, what they're paying for their food and I, I encourage people to try and grow some of their own but we are full. I think we've got 25 at the last count on our waiting list which is the most it's been for a long time. Actually my uh, my mate Coxie and I have been around this morning doing final inspections before we start thinking about issuing invoices and inviting people to think about whether they should be keeping their plot because it's not fair we've got 25 people on the waiting list and people aren't tending to their plots and looking after them then they shouldn't be having them don't get me wrong we're not heartless we know there's issues in the world and people fall ill or whatever and, and we do our best to accommodate people's needs but you know sometimes people just don't have the time to do it and we try and explain that to people having an allotment is an investment in time it takes a lot of time and effort. It's very rewarding, but you do need to put that time in. So do you think there are a few that may oh, give up and then you might be able to yeah, get some? Yeah, we've, we've probably got a dozen or so on a watch list. The way we do it is the, the first is, is a very friendly, you know, remember you've got an allotment. The second is, hey, we still haven't seen any change in allotment. The third is, look, nothing's changed. Something's obviously not right. It's time we parted company. When do you change allotment holders then? When does that happen? Does that happen well, in the happens autumn? throughout the year. Our growing season is from the end of October. So that's when we reissue tenancy agreements and collect our money. We've got a great committee. We really share the work, which is brilliant. Well, talking of allotments and gardening spaces, the garden I went to see at the BBC Gardeners World Autumn Fair was a garden called An Edible Garden Through Time, which actually was set up with three different gardens. Victorian style garden, a garden from the 1960s and a modern garden. Brilliant. I bet that looked brilliant. And it did look absolutely yeah. beautiful and I had my eye on it even before I went to the fair and I contacted the three garden designers, Lucy Chamberlain, Gemma Sturgis and Kelly Fowler, the three designers who put the garden together and in fact both Gemma and Kelly work at Audley End in the walled kitchen garden. Okay. Great to have their yeah, expertise yeah. and to hear how they put the garden together. I've come to BBC Gardener's World Autumn Show at Audley End House and Gardens and I'm thrilled to be meeting with Lucy Chamberlain, Kelly Fowler and Gemma Sturgis who together have designed the most beautiful garden called an edible garden through time. Hello, all three of you. Hello. <laughs> Lovely to meet you too. We actually stood right by the garden here. It's beautiful. Congratulations because the garden has recently been awarded with a platinum award and also the best in show of the show gardens here. How does that make you feel, Kelly? Yeah, we, I think we're probably a bit overwhelmed, excited. It was our first time doing it. So yeah, very happy, of course, and slightly tired from the build, but very, very happy. Now this garden has three parts to it. Can you explain a bit more? about what those are Lucy please. Yeah of course so that was the initial concept of the garden then we drew up a design to try and embrace our ideas. So the first zone is a Victorian zone and I'll, I'll let Gemma and Kelly talk about that. Then we have a 1968 zone which is all to do with the first year that Gardener's World was broadcast so we thought that would tie in really nicely with the, with the show and the final zone is a modern zone depicting how modern day gardeners would grow their own food. What we've done we've tried to represent different landscaping techniques, different growing methods, different varieties to showcase those particular grow your own eras. That's interesting because gardening has changed and evolved over time. Now Kelly and Gemma 
You both work here at Audley End. You're in the garden here, in the walled garden. How long have you both worked here? I've worked here for nearly four years. And Gemma? I've been here a mere 12 years. This walled garden, I understand, is one of the top walled gardens to visit in the UK. And it's had some renovations in the last 20 years or so. Gemma, how has the garden here evolved over the years that you've been here? I think it's changed enormously, actually. I mean, we've had to move from a more highly intensive model with lots of annuals, such as lettuces, you know, big successions, to a more perennial scheme. I mean, I think the reality is a lot of historic gardens now um, are much smaller in terms of staff resource than they would have been in their heydays when they might have had, you know, 20 or so gardeners. And now it's, it's possibly like three, for instance, in our wall garden. So we've really had to change the model. Also thinking about elements like climate change, how gardens are getting hotter and hotter, and, and some of those varieties that we may have grown even up to about six, seven, years ago were becoming increasingly difficult and that obviously informed the garden that you created here for the show kelly yeah with our inspiration from that and um, going through the different time periods we thought it'd be nice to kind of showcase a bit of audley at the um, autumn fair here so we've kind of taken our inspiration from the audley and kitchen garden and used some of the uh, heritage varieties that we're familiar with and kind of got into the style um, using lots of props from audley end so to give people a bit of a taste of the victorian wall garden here as well was there a lot of research that went into this garden then lucy before it actually came to be what it is today yeah honestly lots of research and that was really fun you know look Looking at the history and deciding what props to use and what varieties to use was great. And we also, we must thank the people that have supported us, the sponsors, because we've got five companies that have provided either props or, you know, items to help enrich and tell that story so the visitors can really connect to the garden in a nostalgic way. For example, we've got Forest Garden, who's provided this wonderful greenhouse for us. We've got Fandango, which has given us a fire pit for the modern garden to sort of showcase outdoor dining in the modern day. Crocus have provided us with some wonderful props. Mr. Fothergill's, a lot of the varieties have the vegetables are from Mr. Father Gills and the dahlias and verbena venariensis too. And also the, the wonderful um, stepover pears which surround the edge of the Victorian garden which demonstrate that wonderful fruit training method that they used to use. They've been provided by Ken Muir which is an Essex nursery so that's a nice connection to have as well. I love the stepovers and one of my favourite things. So what are the contrasts between the three gardens? I think space is something that we really wanted to demonstrate with the design. So obviously a Victorian wall kitchen garden is huge and the one here at Audley is massively sizable and impressive. It's wonderful. So that's depicting a large area. So we've given a lot of space to that. Equally, the 68 garden also has got a lot of room to it. Because if you buy bungalows, which are very popular in the 60s, they often have wraparound gardens, large lawn areas. So that's what we're trying to demonstrate there. And the modern garden is, is... very compact and that was our mindset entirely for choosing the varieties um, we've got obviously lots of hard landscaping there lots of containers compact plants things like disease resistance as well which have been bred into things like tomatoes to fight against blight which can be quite a destructive disease that is something that we sh- we're showcasing as well so having the historical references all throughout those three zones has really steered our, our way that we've designed the garden now i have to ask if there was a fourth garden a futuristic garden What do you think would be in that garden then, Gemma? I think I would grow a garden full of Malabar spinach and lots of interesting tubers. Gardens are getting warmer and they're getting more complicated. I think budgets are tight. So we have to really think about, you know, as we've tried to link into these gardens, growing in different spaces. I think really thinking about crops for the future. I think interesting edibles because there's a whole abundance of wonderful leaves that aren't on people's plates at the moment. The kind of plants that were actually really exciting for us and actually from plot to plate. Yes, I've heard recently the talk regarding perennial vegetables. You mentioned those earlier. 
Are you finding that's also becoming informed in your gardening here? Uh, actually, yeah, we, we've just planted out a new um, perennial vegetable area. So it's a combination of all of our traditional Victorian crops, such as sea kale, artichokes, rhubarb, that kind of thing, but more unusual edibles like mushroom plant, again, unusual leaves, that kind of thing. So it is crops for the future, but actually are quite historic crops. So again, things that will give us longevity for 10 to 20 years rather than over an annual life cycle. Really interesting. And there's also a lot of talk about soil health. Is that something you have to contend with here in the gardens? Yeah, so in the in the wall garden here, we are Soil Association Organic. So we produce a lot of our own compost. So we produce up to about 80 tonnes a year of our own compost. So every winter, we do dig over our beds to single digging because I know digging can be relatively controversial. But we do actually have a bit of a binary problem in the wall garden. So we've found we have experimented with things like no dig on certain beds and it just hasn't worked for us because we've always got to think about the presentation for the visitors as well as you know filling the beds and keeping it productive because we supply a local box scheme so we're always experimenting we always use sort of soil association methods really good compost really try and make our plants as healthy as we can and that's kind of how we tackle that really and also here as well you're quite active in, in using a lot of heritage varieties and why is that important the uh, wall garden was started out by garden organic here when it was restored in 2000 so originally for the first sort of 12 13 years of the garden here at Audley End, the wall garden. It was run by Garden Organic, so after that it was taken over by English Heritage and what we've done recently is kind of restore that link with Garden Organic and the Heritage Seed Library by having a seed-saving border, so it's really important. We've started saving lots of our own seeds. You know, it's, it's good for the environment, it's good for your wallet as well, but it's also really good to keep all those diverse varieties available because different companies don't necessarily produce the same plants every year it depends what's popular and and by saving your own varieties you've always got access to those interesting different varieties handy tips well it's been wonderful to meet the three of you thank you very much and congratulations again looking forward to seeing maybe what you're going to create next year (laughs) thanks so much lucy Gemma, and kelly really wonderful to meet you and to see your garden i hope at some point steve we can go and visit you mentioned about tidying up, you're tidying up your plots here, Steve. Yep. Another thing that I tend to do this time of year is to tidy and clean my pots. I know, it's one of those really onerous tasks, isn't it? But it should be done. I'm a bit lazy when it comes to it, to be fair. I just leave mine out in the sunshine and the rain. Do you? And hope for the best. It seems to work for me. When it's still warm, actually, one of the things that I do is I give them a bit of a scrub with some soap. I just get a, a basin outside, yeah. uh, a bowl with warm soapy water, and give them a bit of a scrub and hose them down. Just leave them out to dry. Yeah. You'll be so pleased you've done it in the spring. It's just one of those jobs you don't want to be doing when you're rushing around trying to plant every seed you possibly can. At that time of year, it's much better to try and do it. Yeah, I agree. Bit of housekeeping, really, Yeah, no, definitely. You're right. Should be done. Maybe I'll do some. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looking after your pots as well, you know, go back to sort of the environmental side of things. Everyone frowns on plastic these days, but it's there. It's out there. We're using it every day. Let's keep using it, but reusing it and reusing it and reusing it. Ever so often, they've got to go in the bin. They're completely knackered, but you look after them and they, they will keep returning, won't they? They do, and I like that place that you mentioned. There was a, a garden centre you went to where yep. you could exchange different size pots. Yes, near where... Arborfield. Yeah, they had two great big bins outside the garden centre, just full of pots, and people just take pots to recycle them. Help yourselves, drop them off, rooting through the bin. No, no one battered an eyelid. I got all my shallot pots from there last year. A big stack of three-litre pots. Wow, really handy to come across. I think there should be more of that. Yeah, definitely. definitely. I agree. So, looking to autumn, 
Do you sow anything this time of year or do you just stop? I don't know, but there's lots of things you can sow. Lettuces, spinach, cabbages, that kind of stuff. There's, there's so much you can be planting now. I just don't. I have the winter off to maintain and refresh and recuperate. The soil's still warm actually, so you can plant and they will germinate pretty quickly. I also yeah. plant things in pots as well. So I like planting lamb's lettuce, mizuna, those autumny winter yeah, yeah. lettuces, which should add a bit of interest to a salad. Of course and you can do. go out and pick for the next month or too. If you still want to plant things, you're missing that planting sort of Well, activity. yeah, especially with the weather as warm it is at the moment. So a few things to still get on and do and definitely, definitely time to look after your plot this time of year, Steve. Absolutely. I think we should call it a day and go and cautiously have a look at the pole darkers. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Let's go. Thank you very much for joining us in this episode and thanks also to our guests, Ben Pope, Lucy Chamberlain, Gemma Sturgis and Kelly Fowler. We'd also love to hear from you so if you'd like to say hello or if you'd like to send us a question you can email us on joinusandgrow at gmail.com or you can say hello and follow us on instagram too at growing together underscore podcast we'll be back in early october so until then happy gardening growing together is new twice a month and supported by alitex modern victorian glass houses made in south harting Get the latest editions of Growing Together at any time at shineradio.uk. Come on, Petersfield, let's build a band. A beat from Dragon Street and a snare from the square. A bass from Penn's Place, a gliss from Liss and a fill from Bell Hill. Ooh, some vocals from us locals and the Dave Gilmore of Tilmore. Only Petersfield's Shine Radio plays original music from local musicians. The local showcase with Mandy P is sponsored by Brickyard Studios, Petersfield's professional recording studio, rehearsal space and PA hire. The local showcase, Thursday nights at 9 and always online at shineradio.uk.